everyone. Welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chong. Hey everyone, how are you all doing? I'm in the midst of installing my show in Zuhai, and it's been pretty busy. Um, it's mostly done, so I can't wait to be able to get some rest after the opening, which, by the way, is this coming Saturday, November 13th, at the Xu Yu Huangbian Gallery, which is near the Yongmi Mall in Zuhai. I'll be there starting at 5 p.m., so come by to say hi if you happen to be in the Zuhai area. I'll be showing two new video installations, some light boxes, and aluminum prints. It feels good to be able to make some work after such a long hiatus. Anyway, for this week, I am speaking with Tiffany Lin, a visual artist, wordsmith, and dreamer. Tiffany got her BA in Gender and Women's Studies and Psychology from the University of California, Berkeley, and an MFA at the Maryland Institute College of Art in Illustration Practice. Tiffany's work examines how power is expressed in the subtext of American vernacular. Utilizing both creative and sociological methods, she combines participatory action, interviews, and social theory to support her claims that desire and belonging are mediated by external politics. Tiffany and I discuss the evolution of her work, the use of words and language, finding inspiration in the U.S. census, and how we all self-identify our identities. Tiffany called in from her car on the side of the 10 in L.A. on her way to the Californian beaches. I found Tiffany's energy and thoughts infectious, and I think you will as well. Until next time, stay safe and healthy wherever you are, and I hope you enjoy this. And then, yeah, I can only be myself, really. I guess I am just curious where, where yeah. in China are you right now? I'm in Zhuhai, which is, okay. I don't know, do you know the geography of China? It's actually no, not whenever, when I first moved here, all the Chinese people are like, what is in Zhuhai? Why are you going there? But it's north of Macau and across the sea from Hong Kong and Shenzhen. Mm, okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Um, I don't know that area specifically, but I know everything else. Oh, okay. Where, where's your family from? Um, they're from Taiwan originally. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've been across the other side in Xiamen, mm -hmm. and I've been in Taiwan a long, long, long time ago. But yeah. okay, gotcha, cool. Well, wish you could um, you know, be in Las Vegas. <laughs> I know that this yeah, residency no, is yeah. like really a cool opportunity, but at least you can start to pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring yeah. you in person eventually. Hopefully, eventually, probably for another thing. Probably not for the not for this specific residency, but eventually. Okay. Yeah. So okay. you ready gotcha. to start? Yes, let's do it. Yeah. So you're in your car, and you said you're actually you're not. <laughs> are you in Vegas, or are you are you somewhere else? I am in. Los Angeles. So I'm kind of in between summer session and vacation, just on the cusp of having a longer break. Figured I'd start it early. Yeah. So um, I'm near the beach right now. Okay. Santa Monica, Huntington. Uh, Manhattan Beach. Manhattan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm, I've been mm -hmm. there once. Yeah. Yeah. I was in LA for two years. But I was not a beach person for so my entire two then years you know. there. I think I went to the beach three times. So... Oh, man. Well, I am um, definitely a beach bum and not to plug the connection with my artwork immediately, but you will see that there's a lot of elemental references in my work. And so I think the water always has significance. So anytime I need to reset, yeah, just like jump into the ocean is how I do it. Yeah, which is what is actually funny because actually right now I am where where I am at, I'm uh, right next to the ocean, like literally like a 10 minute walk away from the ocean in Zhuhai. Amazing. And do you take advantage of it? I, well, okay. So this is also a, another sad fact. <laughs> you can't swim in the ocean. <laughs> it's polluted. So actually, no, even the locals don't swim in oh, it and there's signs man. all over. I think it's like in 
you know, the city and China's 10-year plan to eventually clean it up. I think there's, like, a lot of um, sewage that goes directly in there and a lot of old buildings, and so they need to, like, tear it down. And mm. so I, I think um, all the everyone here is like, yeah, it's really sad that we can't really swim in, in the ocean. But Right, right. And I mean, that happens to a lot of natural bodies of water, right? Near a lot of human development. Like yeah. They're just no longer potable or hygienic to wash or clean in as we've done in the past but you know we'll see what new technologies we come up with yeah, yeah. i mean i could go down the like climate change dystopian hole but know, let's I be know. optimistic i know yeah i like walking on the beach though i have taken advantage of that just okay you know, on, on a on a you know evening or morning taking a walk on the beach is really simple for me so that's been really mm -hmm. nice um so how was your day you did you were you at the beach the whole day no um i actually started the day in vegas so i'm still oh oh you literally literally drove just yeah <laughs> so i'm like itinerant like um it is pretty nuts and this is kind of how i live my life um but you know i've yeah. been in vegas almost two years now since starting this position at unlv as a visiting assistant professor um and if, you know yeah, as yeah, we yeah. know most of uh, 2020 <laughs> was kind of mm -hmm. confined to our house so i'm just really happy to start traveling a little more and head yeah, home yeah, to yeah. California um, and then eventually up to the Bay Area where my family is. Okay. Yeah. So I was going to ask if, if, if you could talk a little bit about, you know, uh, where you grew up and then also how did you get into art? So I guess you have family in the LA area and the Bay Area. So I guess LA, I would refer to that as found family, definitely kind of like my my queer crew, so to speak. Okay. So yeah, 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 yeah chosen yeah. family that is very much like kind of bohemian mm -hmm. artists, vagabonds, you name it. Yeah. So I have a lot of connections here, but then yeah. in terms of blood family, um, yeah, most of them are in the Bay Area. Uh, my parents are originally from Taiwan. They immigrated here in the 70s. Um, they mm -hmm. actually first settled in Reno, Nevada, um, before, you know, moving okay. out to the Bay. But yeah, so most of my yeah nuclear, but then also extended family is up there. So in a sense, you being in Vegas is sort of like a semi return to where your parents went first came to right yeah exactly yeah so it's kind of ironic like my parents a lot of they, maybe they didn't have the most faith in me just because I was working so many random gigs as an artist often does yeah, yeah. and so when I finally got this teaching yeah, yeah. position they were like wait is that even a real school and I was like yeah it is okay in fact my dad went to UNR so this is very ironic it's the same UN system but now they believe they know that I'm working at a university um but it does feel like a full circle kind of thing to be back in yeah, Nevada yeah. although Reno and Las Vegas are, are very different places that's what I've heard I've never actually I've never I've driven past Reno but I've not I've never been there so but that's what all the LV people tell me um yeah and then so so you grew up in the Bay Area I actually have family in, in San Jose area Okay, you know, we might cross paths. Yeah, that's where my family is too. Yeah. And then you ended up getting a uh, BA mm -hmm. in gender studies, uh, University of California, Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And were you doing art this entire time? Or did you sort of make the turn to art sort of later? Yes, you did ask that question. So I would say I turned to art later. When I was at Cal, I pretty much did all the like a stereotypical Asian American career track where I was trying to do pre-med yeah. and major in science and do my parents proud. Yeah, I yeah. got weeded out pretty fast <laughs> and then ended up finding um, more interest in yeah gender women's studies and psychology double major and then ended up working in public health in Alameda County afterwards. Okay. So I worked for a community health clinic nonprofit in Oakland Chinatown and essentially like for yeah like I basically say that it's sort of the Asian American version of Planned Parenthood, although our patient base was extremely diverse. We didn't only serve Asian people, but I think we provided a lot of language and interpretive right. services that a lot of other organizations were lacking. Yeah. yeah, so I did that for a little bit, but then eventually just had this like 
itching feeling that I wanted to be part of a longer term dialogue about social change. Um, I mean, I was definitely doing grassroots and community organizing at a really direct level. You know, I had like case management, I was working directly with patients, but I think I was starting to understand that the kind of change I wanted to see, it Mm -hmm. was kind of like a larger big picture policy change. And, you know, of course it's like the dreamiest thing to be like, I'll achieve it through art. But I think it was, I was starting to become disillusioned by like, okay, well, you know, as much as I can help patients, like, you know, in a direct capacity of like getting you treated or getting you the health services you need, how do you inform kind of the larger cultural dialogue around inequity and access? Um, So I decided to, me and my partner at the time, we basically dropped everything in the Bay Area and pursued our respectively shitty interests (laughs) in New York City. So basically dropped it all and then moved to the East Coast. And then, yeah, I just like started to do my art stuff on the East Coast. So when was this? I guess that was 2013. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. All right. So how was, how was New York in 2013? I think it was cool. <laughs> um, I mean, it was pretty tough. I mean, they always say that, like, there's a saying that goes, leave California before you get too soft and leave New York before you get too hard. And without, I know all, all the sexual innuendo there, <laughs> but uh-huh. um, I think that there is some kernel of truth in there. I mean, I am <laughs> consider myself a Californian through and through, culturally born and raised there. Yeah. And I, I don't know, identify strongly with the sort of more. Yeah hippie flexible lifestyle and east coast or new york culture at least definitely taught me to be just like ah, i don't know what the right word is like just be more diligent and disciplined about certain things (laughs) that i wasn't actually actually meet people on time yeah like be be really on time i mean i've i've relaxed a little bit on that even as a teacher now right i mean there's sort of a loose unspoken like five minutes is like an okay thing but you know in new york like if you're five minutes late like the whole thing's over yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, so i think like being on time and just like dealing with the hustle and bustle (laughs) of the city um but it was good it was really formative and i don't regret it i mean definitely had a lot of harrowing strange housing stories but you know i think managed to meet a lot of cool people and get my artwork to a place where I was able to apply to grad school. And then from there, really yeah, develop a, a stronger body of work that I cared about. Right, right. More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you went to you went to MICA, right, for um, illustrative mm-hmm. practice? Yes. For MFA. Um, mm-hmm. and, and also, this is something I always tell all my listeners and also people who are, you know, thinking of applying to grad school. Is I, I don't know how you felt, but like, I found like the years I took in between of undergrad and grad really important um, to approaching how I was learning in school, mm-hmm. right? And I, and I always say like, if I didn't take those years in between, I feel like I would have actually lost out a lot in in going back to grad school. But I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah, I mean, I have to say I agree with that wholeheartedly. I have a lot of students that have recently graduated. So shout out to all of them for making it through a really traumatic year. (laughs) But, you know, a few of them have reached out thinking about the grad school. And that's the advice I always give them. Like you need some work experience. (laughs) Um, Most of them are majoring in graphic design. So they're usually trying to get an entry level design position. And even if it's a crappy one, you know, like where you're making something you don't totally care about, just having that professional work experience to see how creative work, you know, functions within the marketplace and, you know, super hyper-capitalistic manner, it will give you, yeah, just, I think, a more critical eye to, yeah, your personal work later. Because I think graduate school is not something that's going to answer a lot of questions, it's actually going to generate more questions for you, like open more, um, yeah, like cans of worms, so to speak. So I think you have to be in a place where you've lived more life. And so you feel confident yeah, 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 in yeah. what you're doing there. So what were the can of worms and questions that, that grad school brought for you? 
<laughs> I guess this is on the record now, I, I, although I'm sure she knows. I realized that illustration is not 100% for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was my main takeaway, <laughs> okay. actually. My director, uh, the director of the program, Whitney Sherman, I think we we talked about this a lot, but <laughs> I think through the entire program, I mean, I learned so much and I don't regret being in the program. It taught me a lot also about thinking of the artist as a type of entrepreneur or business person, um, I think is so invaluable. A lot of artists forget that element. It's not, it's not cute, right? Um, you know, no one wants to think about it, but I think because illustration is often geared toward a more commercial practice, you know, freelance, you do have to style yourself that way. But I think going through that program and going through some of the internships, I was like, oh, wow. Like I don't, respond 100% like that well to this type of creative direction, right? right? Mm -hmm. That I'm sort of more interested in artwork that's investigative and scope has more open-ended questions and leaves the viewer to find out. Whereas illustration and design often is styled as a solution, right? A a visual solution to a problem. And I just don't think that's the kind of work that I wanted to make. So, you know, at the end of the program, you know, I've created a whole body of work that definitely didn't feel like illustration although you know with their blessing the director was just like okay yeah like what's illustration let's just collapse the entire (laughs) definition of what visual narrative yeah exactly so um yeah so that was a big takeaway from it but I'm, i'm glad i did it yeah and so okay so at this point you're fully invested in art were your parents worried? What, 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 were, what were they thinking? <laughs> um, yeah, they were definitely worried. But I also think my parents, maybe this is kind of sad. Uh, I don't know. They don't totally know what I do. <laughs> you know, like not, not. What do they do? Um, my father is an engineer and my mother is a nurse. But they're super kind uh-huh. of come from like a pretty old school conservative Taiwanese background and definitely have the entire narrative mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. you know, American dream rags to riches, you know, like definitely a lot of working class jobs, like when they first were here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that in their mind, and also there's like a language barrier between yeah, us, yeah, 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 I'm yeah. unable to communicate exactly it is what I do. Because I think now that I have the title, I can say that I'm a professor, a visiting assistant professor. They like can't really parse the difference there. But like, <laughs> you know, the fact that like, oh, she's teaching in some capacity, but that's something yeah, they understand. University. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Versus yeah, yeah. saying, I'm an artist. I'm a cultural maker. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what do you really do? You're just lying because <laughs> you're doing nothing. Yeah, but I think, you know, of course, as a lot of Asian American parents, like they, their greatest wish is for you to become a doctor or a lawyer. And yeah, all of that. So they, they definitely fit that stereotype to a T. So then, so, uh, so after you graduated from Micah, did you stick around in Baltimore for a little bit or where'd you go from there? Like a, just a little bit. Um, but from there, I was really starting to feel quite homesick and just okay. felt like I needed to to return home. Really? And reset and figure some stuff out. I mean, I know, you know, in retrospect, I know that that's kind of like maybe not the best strategy, you know, kind of seeing the way other colleagues and peers of mine, the way they go through an MFA program, sort of understanding that the city that you're in kind of becomes this kind of platform that you can leap from thereafter. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I wasn't really feeling it for a variety of reasons. And I was like, I think it's time to go home and be closer to family. Okay. So when was that? That was 2000? 2017. Yeah. Okay. Because right. mm-hmm. I, was, I was asking because I was looking at all your work so we, you know, we can move into your work. And actually, I was really, really excited to uh, interview only because I feel like, although you could totally disagree with me, I feel like there's lots of overlap in how we kind of see, you know, the arts that we make and also kind of how we approach some of the ways that we do our, our work. I mean, one of the things I really enjoyed was sort of your performance work mm-hmm. and also the way that you, you know, your use of language, you know, and how language sort of enters your own work mm-hmm. and you kind of investigate different different ways that different words kind of have these multiplicity of meanings, mm-hmm. the way that you have poetry sort of enter your own work. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about this work because when mm-hmm. I was going through the stuff down your website, most of it seemed to be like 2017 mm-hmm and up right so i was curious like yeah how did that shift because obviously that shift happened you know around grad school and then a little post-grad school 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you were able to pick up on the kind of entry of poetry into my work. I mean, I think it was a variety of, you know, in the field of illustration, you know, of course, there's a preoccupation of image and text, right? Because um, illustration is often created in service of yeah, text yeah. to support mm-hmm. it. Um, sometimes it's almost seen as supplementary, right? Um, especially in like a magazine right. or publication setting. So, you know, I had already been engaging text yeah, yeah. a lot, um, but I think I wanted to use letter forms and like the words themselves as like kind of the building blocks of work. But also thinking, I think, twofold first about this idea of the speech act of like when you speak something you bring it into existence and then also this idea the whole like was it the sapir wharf hypothesis of like oh how like do people influence language or does language influence people like you know kind of what is that cycle like if our thoughts are in a specific language right then we are very much a product of our language and so but of course Mm. those two are um, intertwined and connected so I think yeah that was definitely a couple things I was thinking about Um, but definitely I think the most pressing thing on my mind was just like the 2016 election and the Trump administration Um, I think being in Baltimore at the time and its proximity to Washington, D.C., I don't know, it just had a really profound impact on me of like what it meant to be American, albeit a hyphenated American Mm -hmm. with this really, you know, different and complex, like bicultural identity. But yeah, just this really strange moment of what is reality, (laughs) like what constitutes truth anymore, right? That I can walk into a space and then it's like, two people are saying the same thing, but then someone else is like, it's a conspiracy. And then like, I don't know, it was just so, so trippy to me. So I think language became a more apt choice of media because it was like trying to address this idea of truth, fiction, news. And I think in ways that visuals couldn't quite communicate because I wanted to get to language itself and how we use it. Yeah. I mean, for me, I also, I feel like language, once you get to language, you get to narration and you get to telling stories, right? Even 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 with the smallest amount of text, mm-hmm. right, you've laid the foundation for a sentence, a thought, which, you know, functions differently than, say, a purely visual medium kind of, I mean, the same, I guess, same dynamic between illustration, right? Uh, illustration with and without text, art with and without text. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, yeah, I think it gets to like a very different, it takes like a different path mm-hmm. than just like a purely visual painting, sculpture, or mm-hmm. so forth. Right. Yeah. The level of interpretation asks a little more work of the viewer. I mean, I do think, of course, you know, like a purely visual painting and the sculpture, like they do challenge the viewer as well. But I think because of the way our minds process information, just sort of seeing the interpretation and permutations from people person to person and like having different entry points into like a work of concrete poetry is really fascinating to me. And that's why it's, you know, I've, of course, over the years, like, you know, gotten feedback and critique from different types of artists. And, you know, I, I find that writers, of course, are a lot more like, oh, cool. Like, you know, I, I get this. I can get down with this. Yeah. But then I think there's also this fine line of trying not to be too didactic with the pieces that um, because it can seem just like, oh, well, it's just words. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. So I'm curious. So could you talk a little bit about how, you know, what kind of words you tend to be drawn to or, or selection of words, what kind of you know, poetry you're drawn to, and then also how you then insert that into your work. Mm-hmm. I think the pieces that maybe you're referencing from 2017, those were just kind of like, I don't know, random things I was picking up from, you know, living out in the world, like signs, you know, on bodegas and gas <laughs> sure. stations and all of that, and just sort of collaging them together yeah, yeah, and then yeah. reconfiguring them. Yeah. I think these days, and I'm kind of closing down out this chapter of a longer term body of work, 24 Views, which is about the U.S. Census, yeah. um, that one is very much historically rooted. So um, really mining archives and historical documents mm-hmm. and like directly taking that laminate kind of as a nod to history, but also how we can like remix it in a contemporary way. Um, Yeah. So before I think it was very much out in the field and then this more recently, yeah, just a lot more rooted in the the library, so to speak. Yeah. Right. 
Right. I mean, and but I think those are all really important because mm-hmm. I feel like we all need sort of like an entry to get to where we need to go for the for the text, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think of I think of my own path and sort of like how I was dealing with uh, language within colors, right? And how colors have certain names and how does that name kind of, you know, create a sort of meaning? And then that sort of then eventually led me towards poetry and mm-hmm. sort of poets and then start reading more and more poetry. But it was a sort of slow process of of me discovering, mm-hmm. you know, how do how to use language, right? And and I feel like, you know, your earlier works, I mean, I was looking at like your play slot machine mm-hmm. and then like your board of chance and like those are like trying to I, I saw that as sort of like trying to figure out, you know, how you want to use words, right? And mm-hmm. kind of like what you're talking about, you it kind of led you to this path for this pro- this body of work called Twenty Four Views, which seems like a really huge project. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, uh more about the the background of it and yeah, and and some of the history of, you know, the census, which is what you're dealing with. Yeah. And I do want to, I will talk about that, but I, I just, oh, okay, sure. something you said made me just to like add on to that yeah, though. Yeah. I think like also the fascination with language, just because you mentioned also like the way color operates there. I also think a lot about um, being a bilingual person. I mean, my Chinese isn't great, but I think because I'm sort of an outsider to it while being able to speak it at the same time I have a different view of it as like very much like I feel like people should talk about this more that Chinese is like one of the last pictorial languages yes 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 yeah like truly right and like and it's like the most spoken language in the world how are we not grasping like this this incredible significance of like you just have to know and of course there's a taken for granted quality but to look at something and understand like well the root of this word is water right the root of this word is um like fire or wood right and even my own last name like I use that as like a really basic explanation for folks like kind of interested in like Chinese characters but it's like yeah like my last name is two trees yeah yeah yeah. so it's a forest Mm -hmm. and they're like unbelievable right (laughs) but I think having that experience of being able to speak Chinese read and however like I think that's why I view English in this way like there's sort of this deconstruction quality to it so i just wanted yeah, yeah. to add that there but i don't know if you because if, i don't i'm assuming you also sort of speak chinese your chinese i feel like is better than mine i'm so my goal was since arriving in china was to uh learn chinese so like i grew up uh Cantonese and then at some mm-hmm. point my parents stopped speaking in the house as my brother and my sister and I started speaking English among ourselves so mm. I, I can hear like you know household Cantonese and I have trouble speaking too much of it and then I went I lived in Korea for two years failed to learn Korean I lived in Germany for a year failed to learn German wow. so when I got to China I was like I'm going to learn Chinese so like mentally I set myself to do it and I right now my Chinese is better than all my attempts at Korean and German. So yeah, I th- hopefully, hopefully another two years, it will be, uh, I'll be, I'll be able to re- like really speak. Okay. But I'm trying to study every day and all that stuff. Okay. Well, good for you. I'm like, it's so good that you're proactive about it. And then I also understand like for those of us who speak like a dialect, it's also a trip because my parents speak Taiwanese. They spoke Taiwanese at home. And so like, I also have weird yeah, yeah. Um, flips where I replace words like, cause my Mandarin and Taiwanese, I sort of use things interchangeably when it's like, some people are looking at me like, that's not a word. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, yeah. oh, shoot. Okay. <laughs> so it can be really confusing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you yeah, asked yeah. me about 24 reviews. Okay. So specifically, yeah, just like how the project got started. Yeah. And just, I mean, I guess it'd be great to also for you to talk a little bit about the background of it. So for people listening, they can learn more about the project. Because I think it's like a really interesting mixture of like, taking facts and sort of making a sort of visualization of it, but not in a typical sort of, uh, what was it? What do they do when they take data and then make into like a pretty pictorial thing? But I feel like you're doing it in a more interesting sort of way. Yeah, d- data visualization. Yeah, data yeah. visualization. Yes, sorry. I'm having, I'm having a, a brain fart right yes, now. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, no worries. Yeah, so 24 Views started in 2019, um, which was right before the 2020 census year. So there was a lot of talk in the news about the 
question, right? So um, the Trump administration had proposed that they were going to include a question about citizenship, which has kind of um, like has a fraught relationship among the Census Bureau. Sometimes it's been included, sometimes it hasn't. It's a little back and forth. But as we know, all of the census questions are contingent on the political and historical situation of the time. So I think that just started, like I just started thinking more about those historical points and those landmarks um, and how the census becomes a representation of that. Uh, Basically, I started examining census data as a way to get a read on the political situation of the United States, but also the feelings or sentiments around who belongs in this country, right? Particularly looking at language of categorization, racial categorization specifically, um, how those terms are always mutable, but what they say about, you know, our views on citizenship and just also like always shifting identities. Uh, So from there, you know, I was like aggregating all this data and just like really looking closely again to language, trying to figure out different ways to represent this. So I have had the fortunate blessing to be an artist and resident at Wasaic Project in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there for about a month and yeah, given an opportunity to actualize this. And so I ended up like a whole range of experiments everywhere from like really abstract representation of numbers to just like really stark examinations of language again. But again, I wanted to find ways like that the viewer could really access and enter into the work um, that would allow them to figure it out for themselves. So a little trial and error, but settled on this like pie chart system that where I use all the data and it's like represented within this shoreline that is represented by a pie chart. Um, And then all of the crests of the waves and sections of the water then become a stand in for the categories that are used that year, but also the actual approaches of people that were counted during that decade are then represented as such. But of course, using water and the shoreline, which I'm looking at right now, becomes the site of liminality that's always shifting, right? It's actually never stable, um, but kind of seeing the census as something that is trying to capture like a static number, of course, to inform policy and federal funding, but that the fact is like people are too complicated (laughs) to be captured, yet the census has become um, a really, really important pillar of our entire democracy and how we allocate money. So it's not going anywhere anytime soon, but just kind of opening up that dialogue that, you know, we can we can blur those lines a little more. Yeah, I mean, I think and it also raises a lot of interesting questions also because people also have to put their what they think they are as well. Right. And so uh, people are Mm self-determining within this sort of uh, narrow range of categories. And like you said, the categories are always shifting. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about also was sort of like, you know, uh, genetics and also like getting your genetic history and how all these categories are also like Mm -hmm. based off like relatively recent times. Right. So when you say you're like, I don't know, somewhere, somewhere like France. Right. And but like, you know, the history of France is like less than a hundred years as like the geographic border has has shifted same thing with germany right and these places have shifted and so we're like placing people in like countries or races that have you know shifted or been nomadic or have moved around and so like we're thinking about these categories in sometimes limited sort of ways right and i think the census mm-hmm. and sort of including the sort of racial question on the u.s census kind of acts in a similar sort of way right i would say um definitely this whole process of self-identification has thrown a wrench in the um, census bureau's planning for this but um there's also ways that their data analysts find ways to process this i think yeah. the one question that has really been coming up with a lot more or opening up like a more kind of complicated question around identity has been this idea of race versus ethnicity as it relates to Latinx Mm. identity. So uh, there's a separate question that asks, is this person Hispanic? Right. And so you can select white Hispanic, non-white Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And I think for many people, they'll select non-white Hispanic, but then like 
sure what to pick, right? Because there's not really an option there unless you pick other or you pick white, which oftentimes people don't want to do. I mean, I think in an older generation maybe would be more open to talking about like being of mixed heritage, being multiracial, having Spanish blood. But I think like a lot of people just are like, no, I really want to identify with my country of origin. So I think the data analysts kind of have a way to break down all of this data into like inclusive and exclusive terms that people are selecting. Mm. But again, I think the data is always dubious and we should question it. But I think there also is a lot of power in this because most people are pretty proud when they're like checking off the boxes. They're like, wow, what what does it mean to see myself represented or be able to select other and like fill in the blank? Um, And then the fact that we weren't even able to pick more than one race until the year 2000, like that's pretty Mm -hmm. profound, right? That prior to that 1990, and prior, you were all or nothing, right? Because we still had this kind of obsession with the one drop rule or this idea that race was culturally coded and that was what was more important, right? Right, Whereas like now you can pick as many as you want, but before it was like, oh, pick the race that you most identify with, which I think we miss out then on all of this data. So prior to 1990, like we probably do not have a truly accurate (laughs) number of the multiracial people living in the United States. But, you know, it was oftentimes the enumerators, they did it on site, right? Like they were judging people based on their appearance, which yeah, is yeah. Course, very problematic. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So are you doing one picture for each year up until present day? Is that the plan? Or are you going to continue until you continue? Eat- until Yeah. Until I die. Until you die? Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, Or or I'll pass it on. I'll pass on the mantle. That's the plan. (laughs) And so, yeah, yeah. So this is sort of uh, like, who's a Japanese artist who who did like the date paintings? What was his name? On Kawara. (laughs) Are you going to be, yeah, you'll be the sort of on Kawara of the census data. Sort of. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I guess thinking about that, though, because when I went on the website, I only saw one picture. So like, are the pictures modified? Fying in like say form and medium and size or, or at the moment are you thinking of them as like just sort of exact mm. sort of um, documentation yeah that's a good question um i know the website everything I, i'm like oh man i gotta update my website so um thanks for sifting through all, sorry, all this sorry. old stuff <laughs> but i think so that project i would say the drawing series are presented very much as a type of document so it's like the 24 drawings and like that is it for now until yeah. the year 2030 but i think pretty much what i was realizing even when i was at wasaic project and like in the beginning stages of working on this was that the drawings themselves weren't enough i mean i of course like wanted to initiate this dialogue through the drawings but it was like i think given my background in public health, but also as an educator, as like a former community organizer, it was like, oh, this is something that actually needs to be activated by other people, right? Mm. Because I think most people, once they entered my studio and they started looking at the drawings, it's like they wanted to talk, right? And they wanted to talk about their own heritage, their own story, and just kind of like what it what it meant, you know, some of them already had kids, like, you know, what that meant for their kids, like identity going forward. Um, So I think from there, that's how the project really expanded into this like enormous multi-branched monster which is totally in progress right now so I have the drawings which are on display at left of center gallery in north Las Vegas um, which is up until August 21st but then I use that also as a platform to start a series of workshops uh, around the U.S. census Um, so you know people are invited to participate in some activities but at the end we basically start brainstorming what are some other census what are some other questions we can include on the survey that more accurately capture what it means to live in America at this yeah, time? Yeah. Like for you, yeah. what would you be interested in knowing about? So I think that's something I'm interested in looking at. Um, the second part has been more curatorial with the mm-hmm. support of a grant from Nevada Humanities. I wanted to invite different writers, historians, artists, poets to weigh in on what they thought were, yeah, like the future repercussions 
questions or just like a historical analysis of racial yeah. classification in the U.S. So that is in progress right now. Um, I have a wonderful team of design interns working on that right oh, now, nice. um, and that will be released later this August. So kind of a lot going on, but so it's like drawing series that started with the artwork, but now we have these educational and like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know public activation workshops, and then this curatorial web element. You know, I think like a, like like you're kind of uh, hinting at a project that this sort of scope requires like many different strategies and tactics to sort of kind of enter um, and talk about it, right? And and I think in that mm -hmm. sense, like the project is really interesting. Um, I guess I was kind of aside. How was the Wasaic project? Wasaic project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was good. I had a good time. It was hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was humid. Um, but I mean, really great organization, and I mean, offered a lot of flexibility, good community and resources to connect with different artists, curators. Yeah, but I think, you know, as with any residency, like just the time to make stuff for an extended yeah, 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 period yeah. of time is always appreciated. But again, like having, yeah, like a community and network of artists to talk to is always important because yeah, at the yeah. time, I most of my gigs, I was actually working with younger children okay. which was good you know and I definitely um now after teaching younger children I'm not afraid of anything anymore I got pink eye <laughs> twice really <laughs> but I think the adult audience I was working with was mostly parents and like you know it's not to say that parents can't appreciate art but yeah they were not so interested in necessarily like kind of the conceptual element or a conceptual yeah, yeah. practice yeah, so yeah. you know it was nice to have that break no yeah. I asked because also you made this sort of I think short video called Sentinels that I was watching with the horse that I was sort oh, of, mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't know, was that a longer piece or was that the video? Yeah, that was, it was just an experiment really okay. um, at Wasaic Project. I mean, they were near, I don't know formally what, what it was called, but I think there was just some sort of horse rehabilitation center okay. next to it like yeah. horses that were tired yeah 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 and just this horse was like super hot that day and just like thrashing its face in a pool of water and i just yeah, thought yeah. it was so incredible yeah, yeah. um so I took some footage and yeah. spliced it together and made that little video piece. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and, and the reason I was bringing that up was sort of like I really enjoy sort of the breadth of the way that you're kind of expressing your ideas, right? I mean, you also do sculpture. Mm -hmm. You know, you also do all these actually really interesting, weird performances, which I was not actually expecting when I first looked you up because the description I got was like, oh, she got a MFA in illustrative practices and I see these really crazy <laughs> yeah, performances. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, this is this, this, a turn sort of happened and I thought that was you know fascinating and do you think of yourself as continuing these sort of videos and performances and sculptures as well or has kind of 24 frames sort of mostly taken up most of your time? I would like to continue performances and kind of continuing to experiment further with sculpture you know site-specific installations since you know the desert is really popular yeah, it, for that. Yeah yeah the long <laughs> history of that yeah and i think it's sort of the restraints or the constraints of covid19 have mm. definitely shifted a lot of how i work you know definitely focusing on like the fact that the entire curatorial element is web-based like that's yeah. not preferable yeah. to me yeah. like I, yeah. I do think work should be seen in person and scaled to the human body as much as possible but you know we're working with what we can hopefully things will change but like so i did have to change a bit about how i work but i am looking forward this fall to really getting back onto campus and yeah, experimenting yeah. with more things um a colleague of mine emily bud she started teaching me how to weld okay so that's yeah. been super exciting yeah. welding is super satisfying i'll be like it's so strong yeah 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 yeah, yeah and then um right now i'm preparing a project for the bullfrog biennial which okay. is an outdoor three-day um yeah middle of the desert exhibition put on by gold will open air museum yeah so that will be an outdoor site specific work actually nice. so yeah i am excited to continue pursuing that but i think yeah covid i was sort of like okay let's yeah. sort of yeah, keep yeah. it yeah, yeah, keep yeah. it pretty um yeah. narrow but i think also one big shift at least this year was a focus on kind of like that crossover between art and like the public activation of yeah. a piece yeah. but also education right it's like oh is it styled as a workshop or is it also kind of an activation of the piece itself. There's a piece up right now at the Barrick Museum, which is UNLV's art yeah. museum, which is on campus. It's basically like a, a giant parachute okay. that I embroidered 
Mm-hmm. But the piece is activated though when people are actually messing with it. So like they're sewing on it, they're oh, okay. adding, they're they're making the yeah. contributions, yeah, yeah. or they're playing with mm-hmm. it. So again, thinking about social engagement strategies as the actual piece itself, and then the piece is just evidence of the action. Right, right, right. I mean, and and also like I think one thing that I wanted to just quickly add. I know we've sort of moved past, but sort of like what I liked about your performances, I at least the ones I saw was sort of like I could see you also investigating language there even in the instructions right i was thinking of uh Mm -hmm. like codes and how like there's like this exchange of objects and then the uh, you know you talk about the object becoming different and then the object being displayed and then uh you know things being sort of based on the the majority what 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 the majority wants and sort of thinking about that in terms of these instructions for performance so that's why i was yeah i mean i'd be really excited to see the performances that happen post covid hopefully hopefully soon you don't know because it seems like the the virus keeps mutating and changing the rules right, right. yeah exactly so who knows but yeah hopefully we'll i'll be able to get back into that but i think one really formative thing for me i had the opportunity just like sort of randomly dragged in to like a group of musicians at Stanford University I know super random but they had invited me to just like kind of jam with them and do things but I think that's where I was like wow like performance can be really anything how it also engages like the audio component and like I thought that was just really cool yeah yeah Um, in a way I hadn't worked before yeah 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 and do you play an instrument why were you why were you why are you invited (laughs) how did that happen it was through like I mean I play piano but not like these people it was just like I think you know when you work that many gigs as an artist does you just like meet people and they're like yeah come to this thing I was like okay like what do I have (laughs) have to lose and but it was incredible because I think I was meeting musicians that were classically trained but using their instruments in ways I'd never seen before right like oh how does one attach like different vibrational tools to a piano wire and like you know take that data and translate it into something else using like motion sensor stuff other ways of using like string instruments yeah it was just really awesome and I think like even though I I think there's sort of a darker element to a lot of my work I think I am an optimist at heart and what this kind of weird impromptu music jam really sparked in me was like this idea of improvisation as utopia or Mm -hmm. jazz I mean we weren't really playing jazz but I think like this understanding of like when to give space and when to withdraw it and then when to come together. And it's just sort of like a flow that you understand. And I think that is an ethos I'm trying to continue in everything that I yeah, do. Yeah. So even as t- yeah. teacher, but even in my artwork of like when to take your foot off the pedal and then yeah, when to yeah, go yeah. full whole force. And, you know, you could also extend the metaphor of driving and traffic. Like kind of, <laughs> you got to let people in sometimes and do all that. You're obey kind of like a structure of rules. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I hope. And that's what artists are doing, right? Yeah, I think yeah. giving space, helping each other. Yeah. I think that might be a good place to end, being an optimist and, and helping each other out. Okay. Yeah, to foster interdependence. Interdependence, y'all. <laughs> yeah. In the confines of the car, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. So yeah, do you want to you want to quickly um, tell the listeners you know where they can find more about your work and, and updates about your show? I think your show you say your show ends August thirty first, right? August twenty first. Twenty first. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, if you want to know more about my work, you can follow me on Instagram at perchance, but it's P-E-R double underscore chance. And then um, you can find more stuff about 24 Views at 24views.org. And then my website is tlinart.com. I will tell your dear listeners that I have a pretty difficult relationship with social media right now. I'm kind of sick of it. So maybe I don't update that often me too, me, me too me too cool high five <laughs> so i mean i know it is incredibly important for artists and it's a wonderful way to connect but i think my bandwidth has been pretty exhausted from so much zoom and like yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. teaching online but yeah. i am there and like i will i, I or i post sometimes it'll, it'll get better <laughs> it'll get better in the fall is what i'll say yeah i haven't i haven't posted on my main instagram 
like my personal Instagram for over a year actually and have mm. I rarely log on and I only post the obligatory stuff for, for the for the podcast Instagram but yeah sure you know and yeah. I think it's okay it's so it's healthy to have that and I think maybe this is too bold what? but I think the best way to find out about my stuff is just like shoot me an email honestly like let's be friends <laughs> let's talk sure you know so if you want to put my email up there yeah lynn.tiffa t-i-f-f-a at gmail.com i just feel like that's the best way to actually make a human and authentic connection just because i think yeah, social yeah. media everything is it's a lot too it's too narrow <laughs> i can't i can't do it it's a lot i think i think you know it, it came i feel like it came as supposedly our our savior of the internet age, and then it's now become sort of this other monster. Yeah, we didn't know what we were building no. at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Here we are. <laughs> all right. Well, again, Tiffany, thanks so much for uh, you know being part of this podcast and, and talking with me. I really enjoyed it, uh, and I'm excited to you know eventually meet you either in LA, San Francisco, or Las Vegas, or somewhere else, or somewhere else. You know, I feel like uh-huh. we had lots of overlap, right? Because I also I was in Berkeley for two months. For, oh for shoot! The Kala, okay, for the Kala residency, but I don't think I don't think you were there. Oh, yeah. awesome! Yeah, but yeah, and take care and uh, enjoy your surfing, swimming, all that California <laughs> stuff. Yes, and thank you for your understanding. I know I was like, this might be really crazy, but I hope he's cool with it. Uh, Are you on the 10, 101? Which major highway are you on? Oh, I'm near the 10. Yeah. Oh, near the 10. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but it's like, yeah, it's just a much needed break. And the ocean is always really beautiful and calming. But yeah, I definitely hope to meet you in person. I hope that this rambling made sense. I made a lot of sense. Um, It made made so much sense. Okay, good. (laughs) All right, cool. Well, when when are you going to be back in the US? I don't know. Because right, because okay. the with the vi- at least for the virus situation, mm-hmm. China can at any point just like close the border again, right? So actually, uh, I was stuck. I, w- I did a residency at Vermont Studio Center January oh, before oh, cool. COVID hit, and then okay. school was supposed to start February, but then January twenty fifth is when the flights started getting all canceled. My school right. delayed school for two weeks. And then they're like, don't come back, actually. And Val said, don't come back. Stay stay where you are. We'll do Zoom. And then China closes huh. borders March 18th. So actually, you could not enter China uh, from March 18th to November. And then so I came back in November. So, wow. But okay. I don't want to like risk. Because at this point, they're like starting to fire people if like you can't come back. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, what do you? Can I ask what your job is? Like or, that you you are. I'm 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 a I'm a professor at in Zhuhai. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, so that's so you're just like you don't you want to make sure that you can like have job security as well. Okay. For now, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What school are you at? It's 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 got like two names. The one mm-hmm. is like United International College, and then the really long official name is. Beijing Normal University dash Hong Kong Baptist University. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Like the big alphabet soup version. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it's only like what, like six characters in Chinese. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I mean, it's cool to talk to another teacher. Hang in there. (laughs) You know, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. So uh, until then, you know, take care again. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Tiffany. Mm -hmm. And yeah, hope to see you soon. Yeah, see you soon and have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you. All right. Bye. Okay. All right. Bye. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Z1 Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoy this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening, and goodbye for now.